0: The song that we just sang is our hymn, sermon number 16. We've done 16 of these since we started doing them, I guess, sometime last year. But this song, if it resonates with me in any way, as I was young and growing up at Maple Avenue, if you were ever absent on Sunday morning. Communion would be offered again on Sunday evening, just like everywhere else. But Carlos Ray would almost always sing this song. We'd sing usually the first and second verse of this song, and then they would do communion for anybody who might have been absent. And whenever I hear this song, I have this, you know, song it's like take you back into places. And it's always about uh 7 30 in my mind it's a little bit darker I, I don't know I don't know if you've ever sung it in the daylight I mean it seems like it's a it's a evening song but this song is, is one that sort of resonates with me and so I thought we would do this tonight as our hymn uh pretty much everything here tonight that we're going to look at was taken from uh, a pamphlet that Alan Webster uh have made and I I would encourage you there's some in the back usually uh Uh, If you want some easy reading, uh, you know, for 30 minutes or 15 minutes or so, read through those so they answer a lot of questions and do a lot of good. And I have used a lot of that stuff as well uh, to help me. But I don't have a whole lot of information about the actual person who wrote the song. For many of our hymn sermons, uh, the song that we sang has been written by somebody who's went through some difficult or maybe tragic situation. Um, maybe they wrote the song in response to a death Or uh, to, to somebody leaving a few weeks ago uh, A few months ago, I mean, we talked about uh, The man who was moving, who moved to a different place to preach And he wrote the song after, as he left, after he left Because the people in the small church that he preached at Came out and almost begged him not to go This song was written by a man named J.G. Daly And he was born in Rockland, Delaware in 1854. He spent most of his life preaching in New York State, and western Pennsylvania before eventually returning to Philadelphia. He died in 1927 from complications of a fall at the age of 73. He's buried at the Mount Moriah Cemetery in Philadelphia. I looked it up and it's a really big cemetery out on sort of the southwest edge of the city of Philadelphia. But that's all I've got. But the question that's asked in this song is not necessarily a question that has to come from some sort of tragedy or some sort of dramatic event. The question that comes from this song might be something that we've asked ourselves at some, at some time. I believe it's number 382 in the book if you want to open your book we're not going to mention a lot of the verses, but we, I do want to look at there to start with because number three eighty two, the opening song, the first song, or excuse me, the opening stanza. It says, "Why did my Savior come to earth?" Right. Notice the first word in that verse is "why." Right. It's not "who" because we already know the "who." Right. We know who Jesus is, and you can tell me who. Jesus is. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is the savior, the, the Christ, Messiah. But you want to. So we don't really need the who for that, okay? But it asks why. The first word is not how, because we kind of know that too, right? We don't have to be too familiar with the Bible to know how Jesus died. In fact, I'd say you could probably do a quick survey of 10 people at work tomorrow and say, how did Jesus die? And the the vast majority of them would say on the cross because most of us are familiar with the cross, even if we don't really know anything. So it's not a question of how Jesus died. We sort of already know that as well. But the question that's posed in this song is why? And sometimes a why is a harder question to answer than who or what, or how, or whatever, because those deal with facts, and why sometimes requires a little bit of sort of emotion in there as well. Well, the title of the song, or excuse me, the title of the lesson, it's sometimes the title of the song, it depends on what book you're looking at, sometimes it's why did my Savior come to earth, why? sometimes it's because he loved me so, it kind of gives you the answer right there to the question. But these are questions that may come to our mind, and I suspect they're questions that J.G. Daly dealt with some as well. He probably had the same thought, why did Jesus come to earth? And so we're going to look at and hopefully be able to answer this question tonight. I think we have five different responses as to perhaps why this happened. Well, first of all, Jesus had to live tonight. Now, that may seem like a rather simplistic statement, but you can't die unless you live, right? So everybody who's ever lived, unless the world ends, is, you're going to die. Every single tombstone has that death date on there at some point. It's somewhere in that time frame, that time period. John chapter 1, verse 29 says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is sort of Jesus's coming out party, as it were, as an adult. I mean, this is when Jesus is going to uh, s- sort of get into his ministry. If you read the book of John, John doesn't really deal with a whole lot of young Jesus stuff. John sort of jumps right in to adult Jesus kinds of things right there. He says, Behold, because John had been out preaching and teaching, John had been out baptizing, but John said that he was not fit to to, 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 to handle the to, to buckle of the straps of Jesus' shoes. But the reality is right here, he says, here comes Jesus. He's far greater than me, if we want to put it in language that we might use. So see, salvation was going to require blood. We talked about this, but in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 6, or excuse me, 10 and verse 4, it says, not the way of the blood of bulls and goats, right? It's going to take something a little extra to do. Uh, than just that. Kevin read our scripture reading there just a moment ago from Romans chapter 3. I started with verse 21 but 23 through 26 talks about how salvation depended upon a sinless person dying for all of us. Well you can't be sinless or sinful without living, right? You know, if you were to tell me, well there's a kid that's going to be born 6,000 years from right now well, they're not alive right now. They don't have any sin, but they're not a person right now. But when that person is born, we're gonna sin. All people are going to. So there had to be this sinless person, Jesus, who would die for all those others. That's what we read in Romans chapter 3 there just a moment ago. But here's the problem: God is eternal. We you know what it means to be eternal. Eternal life. We talked about that, right? It means it's gonna last forever. Well, Last forever means it's not gonna what? Do you remember those commercials of many years ago with the Energizer Bunny, the little pink bunny, and he was banging the drum and he just, and it. Well, do you remember what the tagline was? It said it keeps going and going and going. Right? This is a, I'm talking to an audience. I think that's gonna remember this one. I don't know. Some of my references don't always work, but those, this one, man, this mid 80s stuff works good. All right. So anyway. it keeps going. The point of that was, you can put two batteries into your remote. You can put two batteries into whatever it is, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Guess what? That was inaccurate, right? Now, they might last longer than the other batteries did, but you eventually were going to have to use them. You eventually were going to have to replace them. But the question here is, God is eternal. And if something is eternal, it cannot die. Well, how can something die for salvation of sins if it can't actually die. Well, let's look at a couple of things. First of all, they're both in Hebrews chapter 2. So go there right now if you're not already near the back. Hebrews chapter 2. This is the solution. Let's look at Hebrews 2 and verse 9 to start with. Hebrews 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death... Crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So what Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 9 is saying, then, is that Jesus is going to be sent to earth a little lower than the angels. He's going to have to go through some things. We'll talk about that here in a minute, that would be able to taste death, to deal with death, to suffer death for us. Because if they had five verses, Hebrews chapter 2. In verse 14, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. And that is the devil. And so Jesus had to live in order to die. But by doing that, then Jesus was going to eliminate or to defeat the devil so that he would be unable to defeat us. Does that make sense for what it is right there? But that may still not totally answer our question. It's a start to the question of why did my Savior come to earth? Let's go then to number two. Jesus then had to be tempted to be perfect. Let's think about this for a second. What if Jesus, go back to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, they've been made lower than angels. So they that for just saying. What if they said Jesus just came down, but he was still the same? Well, if Jesus was this sort of God like person on earth who sort of floated above everything and wasn't challenged by anything, it's almost like you're just sort of observing from afar. Well, had Jesus done that, that would have eliminated the reason to come in the first place, right? Jesus had to be tempted, go through all points just as we are, right? And so Jesus coming down, but sort of being in a sort of mid-range here, but experiencing it, but not really experiencing it, would not have made it, he wouldn't have been able to have understand. But instead, that perfection had to be tested. I told you to go to Hebrews chapter two, we're going between those two verses right now. Verse 10, Hebrews chapter two, we read, for it was fitting for him, for whom all, excuse me. For whom? Let me start over. Hebrews chapter two, verse ten. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect. And it says through suffering. What that means is, is that perfection that Jesus was going to have. It said he was a little bit lower than the angels, but it would have to be perfected through suffering. What that really meant is that Jesus was going to be challenged by things here on earth. Are there any examples of Jesus being tempted here on earth? Amen. We can think of examples. We can think of readings. We can think of the story of Jesus who out in the wilderness, right? The devil tempts him three different times. And he says, go up to the top of it. All this kind of stuff. But just like John says that you couldn't have filled the books with all the stories, I'd you, you probably couldn't have filled the books with the temptations that are faced as well, just like any of us uh, would be able to say the same. But he was going to be tested, put through these difficulties. When tested, though, Jesus passed the test. Now, how many of us pass every test of temptation that ever comes with... <laughs> Easy now. How many of us pass every test of temptation? We don't, right? We're only you. Everybody messes up. Everybody goes wrong. Everybody does something. Jesus, though, being different. We read, or we read, I guess, uh, then, and that in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Let's skip ahead to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9. And having been, now a minute ago in Hebrews 2, it said he was going to be perfect through sufferings. Now Hebrews 5 and verse 9, having been perfected, meaning he's come through, he's passed, he's perfected this, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So think about that for a second. What if he had failed the test? then that second half of Hebrews 5 and verse 9 can't be written. You can't be the author of eternal Salvation. So you have to go through the challenges, the difficulties, the complications in order to come out on the other side. Well, none of us are perfect, but we can relate to this, right? We've all been tested and challenged and things have been faced us that are difficult and we've been able to come out on the other side. Well, that's what Jesus had to do as well. Number three. Jesus had to hurt to understand. One of the difficult things about life is that it's full of hurt, right? It's full of complications. I want us to think about the kind of things that we go through, but realize that Jesus went through those as well. If Jesus were to be a quote-unquote real person, he had to have some real people problems, Right? Well, I don't know what kind of problems God has, but I know what kind of problems we have, right? Well, look at that list there. Every single thing that's listed has a verse in it. And that's something that Jesus had to go through. What's the first one up there? I think it says, he was hungry. We can read about that in John chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. You can write those down and read them later if you want to. But think about that. Do people have, do people experience hunger? Do people have those difficulties? Jesus experience that as well. The second one, John chapter 19 and verse 28, he was thirsty. Now that may not be the worst thing for us in the world, but we can all relate to that, right? We can all relate to it. I would, you know, I'd give a million dollars for a tall tall pop or a glass of water or something like that. Well, why don't we say it? Well, because we are experiencing a difficulty. And we say that after we just got through mowing the yard, right? We've been doing this for an hour and all of a sudden that's how bad we... Well, imagine real Imagine that real difficulty. Number three, he was tired. Mark chapter 4 and verse 38. Think about that for a second. We all get tired, right? All of us have been tired because of work or because of things that have drug us down or what. Well, Jesus was the same as well. Number four, from Luke chapter 19, he was sorrowful. He went through times when there was great amounts of sorrow. We know those stories there in the Bible as well. He was rejected. Jesus had a task to do. And I suspect that most of us, if we were bringing to the table what Jesus was bringing to the table, we would expect everybody to come and just sort of fall down in front of us and say, give this to me. This is what I want. That's not really what anybody did, right? A lot of people rejected him even though what he brought, what he brought to him. He was betrayed. We see it in Matthew 26 27. He suffered physical pain there on the cross. And finally Luke 23 and verse 46 He died. Well that's the kind of hurt that we. every single thing that's listed right there I mean, there are eight of them are things that all of us have or will experience at some point in our life. Is it helpful to know that Jesus had experienced those same things? Go back to that previous slide where we said it wasn't it wouldn't have been realistic for Jesus to sort of float around above us and not experience Now, Jesus could experience, he had those same kind of hurts that people had as well. He could relate to the problems that man presented him with. When we say our prayers when we ask for help or we know that we're dealing with something or suffering something or whatever it might be, you're not asking a person who can't relate. Think about the most difficult kinds of things that we come up with. Would you ask for help from a two-year-old? Probably not, right? They can't really relate to that. Well, Jesus can relate to it in part because he went through the same kind of hurt and difficult as well. Next, why did thy Savior come to earth? Well, Jesus had to be among us to show us the way. If we look in John chapter 14, I think that's the only place we'll be for this series right there. Thomas asked Jesus, how can we know the way? Now, that's a good question that we ask quite right often. We think about knowing the way to work, to a friend's house, to a ball game, or wherever it might be. And sometimes we don't know the way and we have to ask. And your friend says, You go through the third light and turn right. That makes sense now. Or we type it into our GPS and it guides us along the way. But we need guidance to get there. Thomas asked the question, He said, How can we know the way? Well, if you go back to John. Chapter 1, what we talked about at the beginning, where John just sort of jumps right into it, the answer is God sent his son to show the way, but to also be the way. John chapter 1 and verse 14, we read the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that way was Jesus, and how he would follow. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Christ left us an example that we should follow his steps. That way, if somebody tells me to go to the third light and turn right, I'm going to go to the third light and turn right. I'm not walking in their steps per se, but I'm following the steps. They have led me to there. Have you ever been following somebody and they turned right and the light changed or you got stopped or somebody cut in front of you? There's this brief moment of panic. Like, What do I do? What, I know I turned right. But where are they going to be? What what? We like to have those footsteps that sort of guide us there along the way. That was what Jesus would be. Six verses later, five verses later, from when Thomas asks, how can we know the way? Jesus answers and describes himself as, both the way, as the way, the truth, and the life. And then says, no one, no man would come to the Father except through him. So if Jesus is here to show us the way, it's only because that's the only way to be able to get to heaven. Last one. Jesus had to be one of us to represent us. I wrote this down, and then I got is like, I might have the state wrong. But a few years ago, not that long ago, there was a politician, I believe he was from Missouri, and it was election time, and the politician who was a representative or senator or whatever in Washington, D.C., realized that he was no longer a permanent resident of the state that he actually lived in. Meaning, he could not vote in the election that he was running for. Now, first of all, that's really dumb on the part of that person. you got to make sure that that's right. Probably not the only person that that's happened to do before over time. But that, to me, was bad for him. But I think more than that, that was bad for the people of Missouri. The person that's supposedly representing you doesn't live with you, isn't around you, isn't among you. How would that person be expected to truly represent you if they're not around you or with you at all? It seems unrealistic for that to happen. How can you expect that if they're not near you? Well, Jesus walked, talked, lived among the people, in part so he could better understand We've talked about this. Maybe if you're here on Wednesday nights, you're familiar with this. Think about all of the people that Jesus has dealt with in our Wednesday night classes. Men, women, adults, children, Jews, Gentiles, wealthy, poor. We've hit all of those in 14, 15 uh, different lessons about, uh, lessons about miracles. The point of that is, Jesus was coming into regular contact with all of these people. If Jesus was not on earth, if Jesus wasn't experiencing life with these people, how would you be able to relate to those people? How can you represent people that you have no concept of what they're going through? And you'll notice that Jesus met and dealt and worked with these people in a lot of different ways. In that thing that I looked at as I was preparing this, that Alan um, wrote, he had a quote there. And it was a question from a man named D.L. Moody, and some of you may be familiar with, with D.L. Moody. But I thought this was a good question. And I don't know what this has been written a long time ago. Because he's been uh, that's been a long time ago himself. But he said, "Some may ask why Christ did not come from heaven in glory and grandeur. I suppose he could have done so. He could have come from the throne in a golden chariot and have gone through the world as an angel of light." But if a man wants to be a mediator, he must be a friend of both parties. And how could Christ have been a mediator between us and God if he had not taken upon himself our nature? See, that's what we do when we pray. We can talk to God through Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, right? Well, Jesus came to sort of be that bridge there between us. If Jesus was all God and no man be hard for him to relate. If Jesus had been all man but no God, he would have had no open conduit to get the prayer there. But he fills in sort of this middle mode, and because of that, we see the same question of what the Moody man said right here. He could have come in this grandeur, this golden chair, whatever you want it to be. however you imagine that? But it would have been hard for Jesus to relate. To the people. On Wednesday nights, we've seen Jesus's ability to relate to all kinds of people in part because he was there amongst them the whole way. Paul wrote in First Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, something I know we're all familiar with. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, right, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty, that, that through your, I get it wrong, but that through him that through that poverty, you would become rich. I wrote the wrong thing down right there. But the point of that being is that we think about sort of what we have or don't have, but Jesus came to represent us to sort of open that door for us going forward. The hymn asks the question, why did my Savior heaven leave? But it also answers it. If you look at, verse, at Psalm 382 in your book, the second part of it says, Because he loves me so, right? He gave himself to die for me because he loves me so. Jesus lived on earth like us, was tempted on earth like us, hurt on earth like us, died on earth like us, and represents us today still on earth with hopes of an eternal life when this one is over. That. Hopefully answers the question that's put forth in the song. If there's any way that we can help you, anything that we can do for you, whatever it might would be, we certainly, as always, invite you to come while we stand and sing. This world is not my home; i just a-